Hey you. Yes, you. Welcome back to another Sankarshan Joshi trip. This is your host Sankarshan Joshi. On this trip we are accompanied by Apurva Jupudi. Apurva is a counseling psychologist and a therapeutic movement facilitator. Her main focus is on studying the mind body nexus. This is going to be a really amazing conversation so stay tuned A Sankarshan Joshi trip First of all Apurva welcome back I am Thank so you, happy to have you back <laughs> I was I'm extremely happy and honored to be back as well <laughs> I was super excited like I was super pumped up when you were when you agreed to do this uh because I think there were couple of instances where I thought of you and then where I thought of what you said the last time when you were here on the podcast like the first thing was uh, I remember you telling uh, uh we had a conversation about people uh wanting to seek attention like people want attention like attention seeking people and then you rephrased it like people are seeking attention because they're lacking love somewhere else uh in their home so like from when i this has been in my head the way how i see people has entirely changed like I, there is no hard feelings when i see people and uh, thank you for saying that last time you here like that's been predominantly impacted how i see things now i'm so uh, i don't know what to say like i'm so humble but again um, i think it stands true to where i come from from my perspective is that um, if you're seeking something you've lacked that in life right yeah. uh, and so that's where it it all came from um, and it was it was like a personal experience that i used to see you know a couple of instances happening with a, a couple of people in my life uh and it was always about attention seeking and i said i don't think so it's because there has been some sort of why do they want attention because they're not getting it um from when we say from it's generally from our primary caregivers um we see the world literally uh by how we form attachments with them so yeah it makes sense it it it, it truly makes sense so when i when i see a friend of mine who's uh, who kind of seeks attention uh, so when i i i try to dig into like how this person has a relationship with their family so i kind of uh, like i can gauge like how things might be so yeah and the second instance that i thought of you was uh, so recently i did an episode on like my experience with porn like so i was exposed to porn at a very young age so i was 10 years old when i when i saw porn for the first time i didn't even know what it was so i did an entire episode of like how when i say like 10 years like now i'm 21 so 11 years of my life it has been a part of so it has been there in the background somewhere so uh so 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 i did an entire episode of how my journey was like how i was transitioning so so when you told me last time you're here that you uh you uh dealt with a lot of people in rehab who were who were dealing with uh, alcohol addiction or any form of addiction so then i started to think 
how different is porn or alcohol or any form of addiction for that matter so i wanted to have you back and talk about this because like i uh, like that hit me like last time when you said uh, mm-hmm. you were here so i was curious on to like why do you think like people would gra- would gravitate towards things like porn or alcohol right so um i have mostly seen uh, i i worked in a rehab so i have most of my experience comes from um, you know uh, providing therapy to uh, individuals with substance use issues um le- mainly alcohol and hard drugs um so um there were modules for other addictions as well but not not a lot of people especially in india come in for these problems or concerns uh, let's say like gambling gambling is also an addiction right so the the base for all of these addictions i can say is the same uh in terms of what it gives the person right uh, i can talk more about um how alcohol and drugs um they um, so it's 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 instant gratification that they need mm. and it's a very pleasure seeking principle that that works behind right uh, if you go into very psychological terms it's it's their um, id that's functioning a lot uh, it's the ple- pleasure seeking principle of our mind um, the id is the part of the mind that you know really seeks um, pleasure over um, let's say um, immediate gratification of needs you know it has yeah. to be immediate like i have a craving i need it to be gone like by now so um it doesn't matter what i'm doing like suppose i'm in an interview with you i i don't care it's but it's it's when i've agreed to do something like this i have a certain responsibility to this podcast right so if there's something that's really uh, like suppose i just start craving ice cream now i can't i don't just get up and go leave and get a bowl of ice cream for myself you know um that's that's because right now i'm functioning on uh, let's say the ego principle ego principle is when it's the reality principle that i can i have a craving i can finish this podcast and then i can go get myself ice cream you get it yeah so in that way um i i mostly think the behaviors are driven by you know the id and so there is a lot of pleasure seeking um and in terms of uh, especially with substances it's more on the lines of um uh, you know uh, get, feeling the high chasing the high uh, that's the thrill of it uh, to stay in that uh, in that state of uh, altered mood hmm. to say so according to uh, normally people would say that um, alcohol and hard drugs or alcohol and drugs but um alcohol is also a drug because anything so the like a broad definition of a drug is that anything that alters your mood right it anything that has mood altering uh, changes that occur and so um in that way i feel like all of them i treat all of them uh, under the similar uh what do you say it comes from the like same it, place yeah and um, it's it's 
it's very um, it's very tricky to work with individuals with substance abuse because um, <laughs> there is um, so first of all there is not a lot of acceptance sometimes you know mm. because um, especially with alcohol because there is so much it, it's socially accepted so you can't be addicted oh, yeah. to something that's socially accepted you get it yes i absolutely yeah. get it yeah yeah so um there is that kind of a, a perception that runs as well with uh, especially with uh, alcohol um and to really get to the base of the uh, like base of any addiction i feel like there are various reasons um and um, it would be a little uh, let's say like i don't want to gravitate too much into the theory of it but um it could be anything from uh first of all their uh, uh relationship with their parents hmm. uh, whether they have the range of emotional ex- emotion expression right uh, if they have been taught uh, or if they really haven't been taught how to express their emotions one of the main reasons why people um, drink or use drugs is because their their feelings become unmanageable uh, for them guilt becomes unmanageable for them uh, and so uh, they the drink it works like this you drink you feel guilty that you're drinking so you drink more so you don't feel guilt uh it's a never ending loop yeah it's a it's a vicious cycle and um uh acceptance or just insight into this can actually really break the cycle um yeah. and so uh some sometimes we don't have uh, uh you know different range of coping mechanisms or strategies to deal with a certain issue um and so that can be one of the reason why um, you know people choose to indulge in substances yes and and i also i think uh, the part that that you said about like alcohol being socially acceptable like that resonates a lot with me because uh, so the only experience that i have with like any sort of like borderline addiction was with porn like i've seen my friends who who weren't able to function like without it because like now that a lot of people are talking about porn like now that everyone's doing it it kind of gives a feeling that when everyone's doing it like it it's not wrong like it gives that perception to it so i think that like alcohol also uh, being on the same uh, spectrum i think i understand uh, what you're saying yeah and essentially i don't think it is wrong i just think it becomes unhealthy after a point hmm you get it uh, i'm not i'm i'm not here to say that anybody who works on a reality principle can always ignore uh, their id which is the pleasure principle if you actually ignore your pleasure principle to a point then the your inner child is not really active okay right because it works in that way as well so uh, it's not always a bad thing uh mm-hmm. it's just it it becomes uh, unhealthy when you are unable to um you know manage it or when you're when when that is running your life yeah when that is dictating your actions or your everyday routine yeah it makes sense so how much do you think like dopamine plays a part in this because a lot of people uh this is what i have figured out uh i think uh 
it's not like a big eureka moment but i think a lot of people end up watching porn or end up like some form of alcohol uh, or some some form of substances because it's hard for them to uh, suppress the dopamine high when they get when they think of that let's say now i have been triggered i have seen something uh, uh, like a half note picture or something and then that triggers my dopamine and then now it gets really hard for me to escape that dopamine and then like suppress that and then come back to normalcy so even my friend like he was super into uh, so every time he wanted to drink alcohol like he would get super excited so he would have that like dopamine uh, uh, surge and then it was hard for him to get that excitement down like now it's like now i'm so excited i don't want to go back to being sad so uh, the if you had noticed that i'd mentioned about how uh, all of this alters your mood mm. uh, especially substances they are mood altering substances right and so um, it of course has an effect uh, on a bodily level right um, some people are able to let's say have a drink or a two and when it hits them they are able to say okay i think that's enough for me um whereas when it comes to individuals who have issues with substances it becomes hard to to stop it at that point saying okay to i'm down for two drinks like i'm done uh that stop principle doesn't really exist for them mm. because it's it's just one after the other and um by what you're saying is that um what i've understood from your question is that why is it difficult to sort of bring it down the the yes, dopamine yes. level yes okay so um one important thing that happens with uh, any form of i don't like saying the word addiction so with any form of like you know uh, when individuals are involved with substances is that they build tolerance right mm. so they start with let's say one uh, one drink but since it's like it keeps continuing through the years uh, you build tolerance right so now you can have five drinks and just be a little tipsy and uh, you know get yourself back home but with them once the drinking becomes a regular process the tolerance becomes much higher and now so if i have one drink now just imagine i have never drank in my life and i have one drink i might get buzzed right and i will be like okay i i can't take it anymore but if i have been drinking for 10 years straight uh one drink is not going to have an effect on my brain because my <laughs> brain is used to it right um so i might need one more uh but now if i'm talking about 10 years then i'm sure i would have developed the tolerance for about a good 6 7 drinks right it makes and sense and so yeah. so imagine that much amount of alcohol is needed to stimulate your dopamine hmm. right um also why it becomes hard to uh, sort of um come back to normalcy is because the feel good is too good hmm okay um especially when we are experiencing a crisis or especially when we are experiencing oh, yeah. some sort of difficulties or emotional um psychological pain um when a substance is giving me an easy way to be happy or uh let's say liquid happy um why would i choose 
the option of going back to being miserably hopeless yes. it makes it makes so much sense yeah so again it comes back to the whole pleasure principle so the eight functions on pleasure principle which is which its main aim is to avoid pain that is the reason why it seeks so much pleasure okay it's like escaping the pain and then finding other alternatives yeah hmm. so our mind is going to do that in some way or the other in healthy ways it could be rediscovering a hobby when you what when you were a child like huh. let's say you used to paint a lot when you were a child and that's that's a that's some sort of it gives you some sort of pleasure and you've quit that as an adult but suddenly after like 15 20 years you come back to it it gives you the same um, you know the the joy. The, the joy or the the happiness or the peace or the excitement you know uh, it's the same way so the main uh, basic um, principle of the id is to avoid pain and seek pleasure so it yeah. will do that in any way hmm. because uh, somewhere uh, the, i feel like it doesn't know what's healthy and what's not as as an individual you kind of know that in your consciousness as to whether this is helping me or whether this is not helping me it's our biases like we decide that based on our biases yeah it it, it makes yeah, sense and our and our um, experience of the world as well suppose mm-hmm. i grew up in a family where um, i have watched behaviors of individuals who have indulged in substances when they have difficult emotions in fact without like instead of dealing with the emotions i have seen and been exposed to this so um, it seems normal it's a big role yeah because um, again i'll tell you one thing um, children always children will see a million behaviors outside of the house but they will only pick up the ones that they've seen back at home mm. that's how we are wired as individuals we will always pick up behaviors that can be found back at home yes and also coming back to your previous point about so when i drink my first shot that gets me a certain amount of buzz and i'm high but as i keep on drinking my tolerance level increases right so now drawing a parallel when it comes to porn probably when you see like a normal porn uh, like normal people having sex and that gives you a same amount of dopamine hit but as you keep watching right like you become desensitized to normal uh, naked bodies so you want something uh, more exciting like you want something just to keep pushing the dopamine high like you're becoming desensitized to uh, the normal tolerance level so it makes yeah. so much and sense so that becomes your normal right yes yeah it it uh, so like i've been trying to like draw parallels to what you're saying to porn because it's like that has been like my only uh, language of understanding uh, like how this entire thing works and also talking about normalcy right so when i was exposed uh, the first time when i saw porn that was in my relatives laptop like i was so young and like one of my cousins or relatives laptop that, that that was the first time i've seen it and now that kind of gave me a perception that everybody does it like i've seen not just with that one person like i've used couple of my other relatives or, or like other of my friends 
like dad's laptop like i've seen this in so many devices so now to me back then that was like normal it's like this is an unspoken truth but everybody does it so hence it must be normal so yeah like it it it, it makes sense when you said uh, when kids grow up like knowing what is normal to them it it gives a same definition of normalcy um i can draw another parallel is to if you uh, if you uh, sort of interact with children from war zones or unstable environments or uh, environments that are extremely uh, you know threatening to their survival um for them chaos is normal mm. right it's it's as normal as every day you wake up and you brush your teeth you get it so um just like i'm just trying to draw more parallels here yes yes to understand yes. this mm. better yeah and also i think that uh, falling into this vicious cycle of this doesn't excite me uh anymore so let me dig deeper into that so that it it gives me the excitement and also even when you're watching porn right it's not about watching porn like i figured this out since i figured this out like my perception entirely changed i realized it has very little to do with biology it does very little to do with me being physically attracted to other uh, female it has more to do with me being excited like me keeping the dopamine level high so it's like finding the right video or finding the right uh, category so that like my i know right like when i see something and then it's very instant excitement like, like you you can see the instant spike in dopamine so and then i i search for the thing that keeps me uh, at that le- level and so all of my friends uh, Uh, th- that i know i try to build a really healthy conversation around it because like friends influence a lot right like when it comes to uh, topics like this yeah. so i have con- i i've con- i've came to the conclusion that everybody face this problem and this when when it comes to porn it has to do with the dopamine part okay um i haven't really um I'm sure the mechanisms are similar. Yes, it is. It is like when you're talking about yeah. alcohol, like it was like you were talking to me in the in that like like in my yeah. language of understanding. So like they are like very very similar. Yeah, and so um, I think I'm just going to piggyback on my knowledge from yeah, you know, yeah, dealing yeah. with substance mm-hmm. issues, right? Um, but uh, yeah, often it is. Um, Uh, again like when it comes to avoidance right like there is something that needs to, that is being avoided yeah um let's say um i shoplift something and i'm guilty about it hmm. and suppose i don't have the means to deal with the guilt and so now i'm ashamed of it you get it now the sh- now shame has come into the circle um and so shame is much bigger um so guilt is shit i'm doing something wrong shame is i am a bad person oh. right so um now that's entered the picture so now that's a very very difficult feeling for let's say uh, anybody to deal with but especially when you're growing up if you haven't um had avenues to sort of navigate those feelings for you um let's say either in your school or um, you know with when it comes to parenting and things like that 
um, if you have if you're not exposed to that kind of awareness or you know that uh, these are feelings that do come up um, and uh, what happens is that now it's too much for me to deal with uh, to know that I'm a bad person because I've shoplifted and so the easiest thing I can do is uh, you know that I think that if I if I drink my problem if I drink my shame down I won't remember it you get it uh, so I'm I'm gonna have drinks until I pass out maybe okay and then um, next day I wake up uh, and somehow I remember the shoplifting of course because uh, that has happened in full consciousness and so then I the shame hits again or the guilt hits again maybe it starts with the guilt again you know and uh, now since I've experienced that this has worked for me this one time Okay, this one time I felt really, really uncomfortable in my own body and skin. Uh, I have experienced guilt and shame. Uh, these are very uncomfortable emotions. Uh, that's why I said we've not had avenues to teach us how to navigate through these uncomfortable uh, emotions. And so now that I know this has worked once, you're going to keep doing it yeah. for anything and everything that is a little or slightly uncomfortable or something that could be uh, you know, much more uncomfortable. Let's say later on further in life, I lose somebody, uh, you know, um, I've loved to death. Okay. It could be a family member. It could be anybody. Right. And so now I know this sadness and this grief that I'm experiencing is way too uncomfortable for me. Right. Uh, because right now, again, I'm equipped with avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. That's what mm -hmm. I have reinforced through and through in my life. And so, um, again, like I would, I would indulge in this behavior of mine because I know that I can cope it's worked. with it. It's worked for me. Whether it's healthy or not, I'm not saying that. But it mm. has worked. Right? But in the long run, it is unhealthy for someone to be coping with their emotions by, uh, you know, suppressing them with a substance. Because uh, at the end of the day, the premise from which I come from, which is, uh, you know, from the DMT perspective of it, which the dance movement therapy perspective of it, it uh, is that the body stores everything. Yeah. And so your body keeps an account and a store of everything. And uh, we need to find ways to sort of see, you know, how we can use our body for, uh, you know, our mental well-being and well-being in itself. Yeah. And also, like you said, uh, when I'm in a crisis and then I want to seek pleasure, the whole point here is to seek pleasure, not to define if this is not to introspect if this is healthy to me or not. Like you're the only priority is let me just get the fuck out of the situation I am in here. Like because this is very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. So And yeah, we I, don't have I, I I'm not saying we don't, but I feel like um as a society in itself, we don't really speak about being mindful about these emotions. Um, mm. I don't remember as a child being taught about guilt and shame or, you know, let's say for that matter, grief um, or anything that's, that's slightly uncomfortable in my body. Uh, let's say irritability, frustration. Um, I don't remember anybody helping me name it until I started studying psychology and I was like, oh, okay. Until I went to therapy and I said, okay, I'm not experiencing, uh, you know, uh, I'm not completely frustrated. I'm just irritated. There's a difference. 
there's a difference between guilt and shame that that's the reason why we have different words yeah. uh, and um, again it's it's i'm not saying that it's all bad out there like the society but it's just that it doesn't help us equip ourselves as growing individuals especially when you're growing um, from being a toddler to an adolescent uh, that there are a wide range of emotions available to you and um each one's going to feel a separate way and that there are healthy ways for you to cope with these and manage these feelings yeah yes it is very very important because some people uh if they've been uh, ashamed of themselves or if they're feeling guilty about they let's say if i am uh, fat and then if i'm feeling guilty that i am fat and then uh, so if that translates into like me uh, shaming myself so and if i'm i if i have this feeling for a long period of time that means that everything that i do uh, is been dictated from this guilt so this guilt has been a part of me from so long and now for me to uh, function without this guilt feels very uh, feels very scary and it could feel very disabling like um, mm-hmm. you know I, i would feel very handicapped uh more often than not in uh, a lot of uh, let's say when when we talk about um poetic references or metaphors there's always this inner voice that they talk about when your inner voice has been so critical it's impossible like um uh, for you to function without that critical voice unless and until you have done your uh, reworking and rewiring oh yeah uh, oh yeah and and this is something that i always believe in uh, a lot of people uh, use the phrase uh, loosely and literally as well that um, you know they feel broken and i feel um, even i have used those terms um, to describe the way i felt at a certain point but uh, what i realized is that um, nobody is ever broken you are always rewireable you can always heal right um, and mm. so that kind of perspective really uh, stuck with me about how you're not broken you're rewireable you know yeah uh, and so um again just taking that uh, of you know um if i'm used to feeling a, a certain way with this critical voice inside my head all the time um how do i again go and do the work for myself that requires some level of introspection that requires some level of you know insight into the fact that i actually have this voice and this voice is damaging you know um this is something that i i think i think i feel like most of us have this in our voice uh mm-hmm. sometimes it is a little critical i face this too and i i think um it's when i went into therapy and i kind of worked on a, a couple of issues i realized that my inside my head like when i was dealing with situations that were similar to what i was dealing with before um uh, the voice wasn't about uh, oh my god you're not good enough Mm. it was about it's okay you might not know everything let's try to understand what uh, this is uh, and so uh, i've seen that personal shift within me so i know okay. that it is it is it is completely possible uh, yeah. as long as you have that insight and and the will to work towards it uh, it is completely completely possible to change that voice inside because yeah. uh, 
our voice generally isn't critical our innate voice within us uh when you say critical do you mean negative it could be it could be negative it could be self defeating thoughts intrusive thoughts uh, yeah you know? yeah yeah i especially if the way if, if your self talk or if uh, or like you said the critical thoughts if they are very unhealthy right it like it is very very difficult because now let's say if there is a obese person who has had issues with food and then food addiction and so if the inner uh, voice is about guilt and shame like what happens is that this person uh, the only way this person can get himself to work out is by saying damaging things like you fat fuck like you like oh, you are so fat like you are so ugly like you need to go work out so oh you had a donut so let's uh, so you are starving yourself for the rest of the day it's like it's more on a uh, a guilt shame punishment like guilt shame punishment it's like me working out the, the the whole motive is not to feel healthy or get fit it is like a punishment like it is driven so when your self talk is driven by shame and guilt like the actions are very self harming and they very unhealthy like do i make sense yeah yeah so what you're trying to uh, what i'm trying to understand from what you're saying is that uh, when when you're driven by this critical voice inside that's kind of telling you that you're not good for anything yes uh, your behaviors would always be to sort of uh, you know uh, immediately and directly tell this voice that hey no this is this mm-hmm. or to sort of agree with it saying that yeah yeah i'm good for nothing you know uh, i am going to be this obese person and so um, especially when it comes to uh, you know issues with eating uh, or relationship with eating uh, when it comes to anorexia and uh, uh, or starving yourself from just not a you know giving it basically stems from a feeling of not being good enough that you're not good enough to even deserve the meal oh yeah oh yeah yeah like deep down it's never about the weight if you actually talk to anybody who is actually struggling with uh, you know uh, their relationship with food it's never about the weight of course they will talk everything about that because that's a facade but deep down it is about much uh, deeper uh, i don't think more. even they are aware of that like initially when you said about dealing with addiction like the first part is like awareness and acceptance right like me uh, like being aware that i have a alcohol problem or i have a food problem so yeah like i don't think a lot of people are even aware of that yeah yeah it takes a while to get to that place of uh, insight unless and until it does something so damaging to us sometimes what happens is that we need physical evidence is that it it is um, so most of the people uh, like let's say um, most of the clients would come to the rehab uh, especially with alcohol would be older men hmm because they have now been diagnosed with liver cirrhosis or a fatty liver or they've had uh, issues with the heart uh, and things like that and the doctor has asked them to stop but they're unable to stop so the family just brings them in because there's no other way of you know saving this person uh, according to them so then now there's a physical evidence that your drinking has caused 
you know, despite the physical evidence, you're not able to stop the drinking. Uh, then it becomes, you know, uh, it becomes problematic. With with let's say other drugs, um, it's it's also because it's not socially accepted. The minute parents find out, they put uh, their children in. So mostly with other drugs, it's younger population that I have seen. Uh, mostly teenage to let's say young adults who have come in because uh, getting uh, addicted to the uh, hard drugs is a little more quicker than alcohol I feel mm -hmm. because uh, it's just like I feel like there is just a different chemical makeup in yes, this yes, 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 yes. Um, and yeah so how do you uh, deal with issues like this? So how do you use dance movement therapy to help people uh, recover from such states? Okay. So firstly, what I would like to say is that uh, when it comes to most mental health uh, issues, uh, a single approach will not help. It could be helpful. Like for some people, it will work. For some people, it might not. You always need a, like a multidisciplinary approach, right? Um, so one thing that uh, that people often follow, I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's really popular in the West. It's called the AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous. You must have seen it in movies. Uh, I think I've or, heard you know, of it, but I don't know if I'm aware of what it actually is. Yeah, so it's, it's like a su support group. Right. But over here um, in the rehab, uh, so the AA has 12 steps. Uh, these 12 steps are basically the first step is that you have to accept your powerless over the substance and that it has taken control over you. So it's a, it's a, it's a, like a 12 step procedure where you like uh, in the middle of the procedures, you, you sort of write down all the names of the people you've heard and then, you know, you go make amends with them not with the intention of, you know, them forgiving you, but, you know, the fact that you should make amends, you know, and sort of apologize. So they've got various steps. Uh, the 12 steps works brilliantly with, uh, let's say, when we're dealing with substance-related uh, issues. Uh, but uh, again, 12 steps coupled with different types of therapy is beautiful. It works beautifully because then I feel like it gives... Uh, different mediums for the client to pick and choose as to what they are uh, really interested in because for some people uh, AA along with uh, talk therapy would work for some people A along with group therapy would work for some people AA with dance movement therapy would work so mm. it's really to see what works for each individual coming to my experience of working um, uh, sort of employing the module of dance movement therapy in a rehab. Uh, I think it was uh, a beautiful experience to start off with because uh, there were so many things that the group was exhibiting. Uh, in, and uh, it, for them, it was like, we're going to rebel. Uh, but for me, it was about, they're trying to push my boundaries. And this is what they do. In general, they push their boundaries every time they drink or every time they use to, to that one more drink, one more shot, one more drag, you know. So it's the same behavior that they're uh, exhibiting with me. And, um, and so I had to be that 
container that beacon to hold this kind of behavior uh, why dmt is because i honestly believe that uh, uh, when you use substances you're used to numbing your body you're used to numbing your body of its senses of its feelings and we as humans are very sensory in nature we we get pleasure from things that we can really see like let's say a beautiful scenery you go to a waterfall or a beach or a mountain top or you know it, it it's very scenic and so that gives you uh, a sense of you know a peace within or a sense of you know calm or, or a sense of relaxing you know uh, feelings uh it's the same way we are we are such sensory beings right we so uh, we rely so heavily on our senses and uh, when it comes to uh, issues with substance use uh, it is actually so alcohol is like a cns depressant like a central nervous system depressant so it kind of dulls you off your senses right and so uh, imagine a body that's been functioning on this dulled senses for years and years yeah. right uh, you're so far away from your body which is your home right uh, and uh, of course that's why withdrawals happen if there seems to be such a difficulty when you leave the substance because your body no longer understands the world when you're sober your body understands the world only when you're say high and so bringing the body back into the picture is a really really important aspect is that yeah, to use so the too. body mm. you use the body to understand and process the feelings that the body is bringing up uh, the nature of movement that is coming out it's very very crucial and important because uh, if our body uh, is the first place to be affected let's say when you have a drink your dopamine like you said your dopamine increases right if if the evidence is so biologically based and so body based right uh, why leave the body out of the question is what i would put forward um why even look at leaving the body out of it when when these uh, substances have a direct effect on your body yeah and and so that is where i believe dmt makes a huge difference uh, movement therapy can uh, really look into understanding the process for you as by using your body hmm it so, would uh, of course be uncomfortable i'm sorry i just cut you off there but it would no, of course no, be was, yeah but uh, again uh, not having the substance in itself is an uncomfortable situation for uh, a person who's dealing with substance related issues so okay so if i'm getting it right so what are you saying is that when you indulge yourself in a uh, substance abuse for a prolonged period of time uh, then your body gets physically uh, attached to that substance so now uh, dance and movement therapy is uh has to do with a lot of physical movement right uh yeah. i am assuming that in a way uh body gets to talk here like sometimes when you uh talk on a uh, when you go meet a therapist and then you are verbally communicating your problems it has to do with your thoughts your mind right 
so like you said body stores the trauma so do you think when you are expressing yourself through movement uh so maybe all the trauma which is physically stored do you think like that comes out to like which the person of didn't course. even know hmm. of course uh when we are essentially when we are using the creative arts therapies right dance movement therapy comes under one of the creative arts and expressive arts therapies um this deals a lot with the unconscious so we don't really know what's going to come out okay right uh so it is it is a huge release and some very very rich data into uh the person's uh, life uh so with dance movement therapy the person kind of gives uh their inner world uh, a physical form when i'm saying uh, let's just hold up a gesture for you know anger okay and i said this for anger i'm giving a physical form to my anger right also my energy right now is so much in my hands maybe that's where i genuine generally feel my anger as a person uh when i say uh, let's just you know find a gesture for happiness it could be this for me uh you know uh so uh, just giving it a physical form so with this physical form i understand that there's there's some sort of a like a up and down motion for me whereas in anger it was so tight and down so you relate a certain emotion uh, you represent a certain emotion physically uh, is what you're saying right like can you just take us through like what do you uh, or like how do you do this uh, like because now a lot of people know how like a verbal therapy works like i go sit and then i talk about it but uh, i kind of understand what you're saying like you re- use physical ways to represent your emotion so uh but like how would you explain it like more deeply like what would you do can you just take us through uh yeah sure uh firstly i would say that uh, dance movement therapy is similar to talk therapy okay. and you say, you put this out very uh, early on in the interview like in the, just now in the conversation where you said that the body is talking Mm-hmm. and the therapist is trained to listen to the body's voice let's simplify it that way okay. right uh, and so um, i am trained to work with groups i am not trained yet to work individually so i can talk from my experience of group work right um, so a session a typical dance movement session uh, would have a beginning a, a development and a, a closure similar to a letter let's say it has an a beginning a body and an ending right so the beginning would be really like we would start in a circle why a circle because a circle is equal right um i can see everybody equally and so can they right uh, a circle is a neutral base to starting so all of these things come into the picture when we are uh, doing movement work and or with creative arts therapies um and so um we have different goals for each session uh so the goals can vary from body rhythm body awareness self awareness mindfulness uh creativity you know uh based on self esteem uh, or social skills interpersonal skills communication we have various um, you know goals that we deal with uh, 
and uh, let's say for a session i take up uh, emotional awareness as my topic for today let's say uh, so i i have a focus activity which basically allows the participants to bring their entire focus to the session and then we sort of do a warm up because we're using the body so we need to do a slight warm up if i'm only using hands then i i'd rather want to warm up just the hands right so we do some activities together to warm it up together uh, together you know um it's it's very uh, like um it's not guided or it's not uh it's not choreography it's not steps it's not performance although those aspects can be a part of uh some of the activities like sometimes we divide the group into two groups and you know ask them to come up with their own choreography for uh, let's say the meaning of their names so suppose my name is apurva and my it means rare i would have this so the entire group does this and then the next person's like it goes on you know so that there's a group choreography they have to remember all of it suppose it says this and this and love like that you know so performance is an aspect of it but it's never uh, the goal it's a very process oriented um, form so then after the warm up we sort of build into the theme so if it's emotional awareness i kind of orient them towards movements or activities that really involve them with uh, thinking about their emotions you know uh, we could start off with just like let's say a quick body scan and you know how they're feeling today and so pick up those feelings and you know uh, exploring these feelings the main the main activity would be to explore these feelings in different parts of the body so i might call out, call out a name uh, of an emotion let's say happiness and i would say one body part let's say left hand how would you express happiness in your left hand so we we explore different ways of exploring happiness in the left hand the right hand the head you know the full body or legs so that this is just one activity that i'm giving you an example of so i would change more emotions and then i would ask them to really look at how their body is responding to these emotions mm-hmm. uh if i'm if i'm saying that happiness and then can you express sadness with your right hand uh it wouldn't be the same energy that i was just doing this with you know it would be more of a a downward let's say for me the a downward you know very uh, weak uh, and uh for me it would be a very uh, you know downward no, lazy dull movement was, mm. yeah whereas happy would be very uh, this for me you know and so there's i as a participant i would be asked to observe these differences and how your body feels just by doing that and uh, then right after the main session we have like let's say about 10 15 minutes for just verbally processing what we've come up with today just come and speak about your experience and you know have a place to hold that experience because sometimes uh experiences can be overwhelming because your body you don't really know what uh, gets triggered when you use your body and mm-hmm. uh, we sort of close it up with some closure activities like it could be a ritual that we do together like a movement ritual or a song together it could be anything so that's how a typical dmt session would look like okay uh it would involve various other things like uh using props uh you know we use props like balloons scarves uh you know uh, all sorts of things art making sometimes finding closure uh, through words can be difficult so we ask 
them to sort of put it into art what they've experienced put it into art and then they come and speak about that when they're verbalizing uh, you know the experience for them so that's what typical dance movement therapy session would look like uh, and uh, so would uh, people uh, end up so is the whole point is that uh, whatever the inner trauma that they have uh they would end up physically expressing it right like uh so is this so after a point of time would this be a uh, very random and individual so 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 right now uh the entire group uh is trying to express the same thing right so at any point would it be that everyone does like random things uh like it could be depending on the activity like even in this activity i would normally ask feelings that are coming up for the group so each person says one one feeling i would never give out saying happiness or sadness or whatever whatever is coming up from the group suppose someone says tired so i'm like okay let's use that because that is what's coming up in the here and now so i'm going to mm-hmm. harness that uh, so i'm going to say let's try ex- let let's try taking that experience of tiredness and ex- uh, you know uh experience it through our body right somebody else might say they're feeling overwhelmed let's sort of take that and you know somebody might say they're feeling calm let's see how to emote that so um we always work with what the group's need is uh so we can't really like i can't fully dictate the session or direct mm-hmm. the session and uh, yes at some point some activities so activities can range from either a group activity which the group is doing together like let's say uh, sometimes i use i introduce a lot of play into my uh, you know sessions like let's say one game we're playing dodgeball right like we're just doing dodgeball in the entire group so it's a very group group based activity sometimes i divide them into pairs to do some work that is pair related work right mm-hmm. uh and uh if and sometimes i would do activities that are very individual to themselves you know they're not interacting with other people it's their space and their uh, you know time to sort of sit with themselves and explore so there are different constellations that we work with depending on which activity would suit more for like a group when you're mm-hmm. doing social skills interpersonal skills uh group skills and things like that you know uh, trust building activities these all happen with a group uh, it makes sense it right? makes sense yeah and whereas when i'm working with self awareness emotional awareness i would want to keep it with the individual right max to max i would take it to a pair but not as an entire group like you know mm-hmm. we were working as a group and we're individually working on you know yes something. so uh when it comes to therapy or when it comes to dealing with uh, our any sort of trauma right initially there is this acceptance phase and then there are different phases to getting out of the trauma and the first phase is the acceptance phase right so uh, i don't know what the second phase is is the second phase like working on that or like w- what is it uh, i think there is this like universal thing where there are different phases different uh, like acceptance yeah. and then so where do you think this like dance and movement therapy like whatever comes out where do you think it uh, it falls under like is this like the first phase where they 
they're getting aware of what the trauma is like or do you think like it helps with the dealing with the trauma so it helps in everything okay. in that way so for me like let's say for me the start would be to acknowledge first of all you know before i get to accepting i need to notice and acknowledge that this is what i'm feeling if i don't have that uh, then um, i can't accept it i can't accept what i don't know right and so uh, once i accept again putting it into sort of action but uh, i think any form of therapy will involve it will come in any phase so sometimes when i'm talking about something i might randomly notice some something else that's coming up for me you know and then i acknowledge that and then okay, i you know okay. accept that part of me and then i kind of accept and start healing that part of me it's it's not always linear that's why healing is never linear it's it's a very uh, you know it's a very different process it's it's it's, it's all ups and downs and curves left right and center so uh, yeah i wouldn't say it's it's a certain line and that you can fit therapy only in that line because uh, suppose i am a person who has reached that phase of okay i want to accept these feelings that i'm having let's say i'm i'm going through something right i want to accept this i want to move past it but uh, while doing that i might realize something and notice something from you know uh, some from another issue altogether and so that might pop up yeah <laughs> so it's so beautiful to know all of this because uh uh one of my friend texted me or uh, like one of a person that i know after uh, our episode was out so that person was always curious about like she she heard what dance and movement therapy was but she never really know and knew what it was so uh, like our episode like our previous one gave like a really like interesting uh, informative insight to her so i think that now like people are getting aware about like all the different means to uh, uh get better with their get better at dealing with their trauma because everybody has trauma like like everybody even though you think that you are uh, like mentally healthy every single person like if not like 99% of the people unless you are a sage living in himalayas like 99% of the people have like trauma in them like it might not be as uh as severe as uh, others but everybody still has it because we are all uh, uh we are all driven by our insecurities right like everything that we do is is driven by it right and um, i would agree to the fact that there are uh, quite some parts of a lot of people um i always say this you know oh, we are highly unaware individuals walking around in adult bodies oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, we and and we talk about self awareness but um uh, it's very ironic uh, <laughs> and so yeah i do agree with the fact that uh, there is a there's a lack of awareness you know towards what someone is going through uh, what you yourself are going through um and uh, that becomes a difficult place to navigate from Uh, and so the only way is to spread awareness about it so yes uh, in that way um you know however possible um it's an altogether different conversation when i kind of bring in schools and stuff 
because I feel like educational institutions really have to uh, encourage more conversations around mental health, uh, around uh, sexual orientation, gender fluidity. Uh, these are these are some things that the edu an educational institution has the power to give the right kind of information to children. At a young age, especially, like that's the crucial yeah. part of their lives, right? Yeah, I think the like we need three uh, crucial educations in uh, cru crucial uh, subjects in our education system. One being uh, uh, sex education, like really sane sex yeah. education, and the second one would be like you said, like mental health, uh, a mental like self awareness. Uh, sort of education and the third would be financial education like i believe these three should be prominently be in our school uh, education yes. system yes nobody ever tells you how to save i feel like you learn that from your parents or like you know somebody like who's uh, i would because i am somebody who's really bad with the banking system like i don't understand these terms at all like everything goes above my head right uh, and so I always need someone like if I have to go to the bank it's it's a very very frightening experience for me like I physically hate going to the bank because first of all it's such slow procedures and that makes me even more anxious and when I go to the counter and then they say there's some mistake that makes me even more anxious so I have to go back and like you know uh, I think that gets me very, very. Uh, yeah, because like, I, you might lose the your money, right? Like that fear is always because it's money. Or oh, what if I lose it? Like just because I did some error. So it it it, it also like drives that anxiety. Yeah, and it's just, uh, like for me, I I don't think I've ever been a person who handled uh, money in a very uh, like I, I i feel like i didn't know how to handle money trust me like if someone gives me a lot of money i'll be like how do i keep this safe you know like even in college when you know you have to go pay your own fee right in school it's your parents will come at the office pay and go but in college it's a different scene where you have to go pay your fee and like there's no parent involved and the the day when i have to go and pay the fee was the biggest problem for me not because um, you know like my parents would just give me the money and they'd be like okay go take it like go pay it up and my biggest thing is how do I safeguard this much amount like I, you know like I would give it to one of my friends who's really good with finances like she's very well versed with banks and stuff right and so she would always be like the the, the person to go <laughs> with like finances so I would like the minute I would reach college, I'd be like, listen, keep the money. It's with you. Okay. And like that's I think that's how I have never been oriented towards handling finances uh, or being comfortable with finances or uh, even like in the beginning of my career, like to ask, uh, let's say money for how much I was working was also such a big difficulty for me. Uh, and I feel like what you said was financial education is so important. To understand how to save money, uh, of course, back then, if you would have told me save money, I would have been like, no, no, I'm going to splurge it. I want yeah. to do trips with my friends and all of that. But at least later on, when you actually have the plan to save money, you have you're well equipped 
Yes. I was on my friend's podcast and we had a entire podcast. We talked about like wealth, money, how are these two different? Why is it important to uh, give a really sane perspective of how to create wealth and not run after money, like all the asset building, all that. So yeah, that, that, that was when like we kind of uh, figured out in the conversation. Plus, we never really grow up, right? Like, <laughs> recently I figured out this. So when I was a kid, I thought going to college was like, you're an adult. Like when you go to college, like usually when you see movies, it's like there is this uh, hero. He falls in love with the heroine and then he's a college student and he he fights away all the goons. So it, it, it's all the adult stuff, right? And now, I, I like 10 days back, I finished my final exam and, I, and, and I'm done with my bachelor's. So... I still feel like I'm still a kid, like who's, uh, who's trying to grow up. Like now, I think that when I look at my parents also, they are like 40 year old kids. Like, I think you never really grow, grow up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, congratulations on finishing your bachelor's. Thank you. Thank you so much. But, uh, I, I, I kind of resonate with what you're saying over there. Um, I thought like when I get to college, I would, I would feel <laughs> like an adult. Because uh, when you have hit your 18th birthday or your 21st birthday, there's a special milestones, right? Um, I thought I would feel like an adult when I was 18, but um, I still felt like a child. Um, I, I, th- I thought 21 is it. Um, I was always a mature person, like, but that side of me only comes out when I'm having... Uh, you know, emotionally vested conversations. Like, I, like you know, I'm emotionally invested in these conversations. But otherwise, if somebody sees me, they would really think I'm just a goof. <laughs> you know, because I'm just all over the place. I'm always like really hyper and happy. And uh, I, I have my own like weird. Like when I meet people, I just really love and the energy of people. And so, um, yeah. And then I thought, okay, if I finish my bachelor's, I'm going to feel like an adult. Then I master's. I was like, okay, now... After masters, I'm gonna get a job, so then I'll be an adult. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I, I still don't feel like an adult. Uh, and uh, of course, there are some like in in ways that I look about look at my life. Like, okay, now I have a career. Now I have you know this, this, this. I'm doing all of this. In the, in some ways, I do feel like I'm doing some of the adult things in life, like uh, adult <laughs> responsibilities of just you know I have a you know a career going on and things like that. But otherwise, I, I just sometimes feel really, really like a helpless child. You know? <laughs> like I just want to go out and play or just give me your PS4. I'll, I'll be happy. I think that you, um, like someone younger than you might see you as an adult, but you never see yourself as an adult. <laughs> like right yeah, now. Right now, I can go, uh, like after 21 years old, I can go get married. I can own a real estate property. I can literally own a home. Now thinking about that, I'm like, that's such a huge responsibility to me. I can never imagine uh, myself actually owning a real, like actually owning a home. And that feels like such a huge responsibility, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it does. Like, <laughs> um, funny story. When I was uh, when I hit eighteen, I was uh, so ready to get married. I was uh, always I I always believed a lot in like the institution of marriage. So I would really go and tell my mom every day. You know, I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to get married. And my mom and my dad always came from the thinking that you know you have to get married a little later on in life, not too early. Like eighteen is too early for you. Uh, around twenty five, we'll see. and uh, now that i'm 26 i'm like damn no like i don't i don't think i can handle it you know at this point it's not that i can't i'm not ready for it you know i think i was always ready for it as an individual like you only but when i think about me wanting to get married when i was 18 like i feel so stupid yeah you know? i think that when you but, think you're an adult you're not actually an adult but when you think you're not an adult i think that's when you're an actual adult <laughs> So yeah, like given when I was 18 yeah like given when I was 18 I I used to feel like I'm such a grown up like now I can do whatever the fuck I want like you know like I used to walk around with that pride like I am adult like I know what I'm doing like even when you arguing with your parents you're like you know like I'm actually growing up like you know yeah. that right like you know so like, yeah like now I feel more uh, kiddish than I ever felt in my life Yeah and uh, of course like i think it, it, these are like phases i feel yeah <laughs> like you go through it and then you like at one point you're like okay hmm, i feel uh, like i've made it as an adult but uh, then suddenly uh, but like personally i've never felt uh, the need to behave like an adult not be an adult to behave like an adult um i just um, i don't know that's not i that's not truly uh who i am but uh, again like even at this age i feel very i'm talking like i'm really old i'm not <laughs> but uh, yeah so um even at like 26 i feel so enthusiastic about life like you know i'm just like oh i want to see this so oh, i want to do that like it is the, the energy and enthusiasm is so real um and i think uh, a lot of a lot of the definitions of adult life are so skewed and so uh, you know uh, biased like oh if you're an adult you have to do this only uh, and you have to be so serious and you have to be like you want to have fun like there's that, a time for fun. I think that, that was our like our parents generation like now we we are literally adults like me and you like we are like sort of adult like you are and I think I am sort of like I'm going to be 22 so like like now that we are like this like our definitions is going to change like probably like our kids are going to see us as like 30 year old uh, teenagers or something like when they grow up yeah you never know <laughs> yeah. you never know plus the other thing that i always uh, i'm so fascinated is that this is why i always feel like i've never really grown up is because uh i still feel like i carry certain trauma like like my childhood uh like bad incidences i still carry them with me so i i i actually dated a girl when i was in my 7th grade yeah like that that's when i got into a, a relationship with a, with a girl and then that lasted for like 5 to 6 years so like my, most of my uh like teenage life i was uh, very much attached to that person 
and then like it ended when i was in my 12th like when i was about to come to college so it ended then so now when i look back like sometimes uh, let's say like some uh, some movie scene you know like some uh, experience someone's talking about it 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 triggers the memories that i had with that person so it's like that feel that, that was such a long time ago like 5 years back or something but it still feels like uh like i'm experiencing in that moment like like the pain so yeah like we all carry such like childhood trauma with us so that's the interesting thing about the mind you know um it has the power to really bring something to life uh from the past uh but also uh help us um visualize uh a certain uh you know scenario like when i say oh, just close your eyes and visualize something that really brings uh, a sense of calmness to you you're able to do that uh and uh i think that's that's the reason why the mind is such an important and interesting uh aspect it is it is truly interesting the other day so uh, i was so depressed when my uh, when my relationship ended i i don't know if you can literally call that a relationship because like you're not associated technically like you're not engaged or something so but uh, like when that ended i was so depressed like my parents got involved they like they, they were trying to console me so uh, the other day my mom reminded me of that like we were having this conversation like do you remember uh, like back when like you were so sad you were so depressed and then my mom told uh, uh, she was feeling sad about something and then i tried to uh, tell her something but then she told me see you were kid back then but like you felt so bad like now this is a different thing like she kind of uh, uh, <laughs> so oh, i'm trying to frame this properly because uh, she kind of didn't take that seriously because like i was a kid and then you felt like so bad she didn't take that sorrow uh, very seriously if that makes sense it's like you were a kid you didn't even know like when you were a kid if you felt like so bad can you imagine like how bad we might have felt now uh, so she 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 was feeling yeah. bad about something do, do i make sense yeah yeah she was just uh, yeah i got what you're saying yeah so but i told my mom that see uh, when a kid is happy uh, that happiness if i am happy the level of the emotion is the same regardless of what the situation is now let's say if yeah. i was sad back then and if i'm sad now the the intensity is still the same like i cannot disregard my previous uh, uh, incidences just because i was young yeah of course uh, what you feel is always valid mm. um whatever you feel be it to any degree um it's always valid and um, there is no there's no compa- comparing it to anything else or anybody else uh because um like when you grow tall no like when you're in your school you grow tall like you measure like i used to have this thing where we used measure okay every birthday and like important days we just like measure me and my brother um uh, when we grow tall like we are not measuring our height with somebody else's height like i would it would be stupid for me to measure my height with my brother's height 
it would only make sense if i measure my height with my own height like how what i was when i was in 2012 to 2015 right um, and so um, i think that should sort of be applied to um, yeah and, and also a lot of people just disregard their like what their kids feel just because they're younger right yeah yeah they think they don't remember but that's the thing your body remembers um there is so much about the body that um you know there are uh, there are times when um you have a gut feeling or you know and it's so right like it's so right that you're like oh damn i knew that this is right so these are the ways in which your body talks to you you know uh, and your body will remember because it's storing actively and passively you know uh, and so um it's not about the memory of it because the mind is a very beautiful uh, interesting thing like i said before is that uh, the mind has the capacity to erase something that is supremely hurtful or uh, alter certain memories right like how yeah. you want it to be yeah like uh, if you see when you're denying something you're basically denying the reality of it <laughs> suppose i lied to you and i get caught in this whole thing and i said no i didn't lie to you remember what i'm trying to tell you like i i told you this i'm not saying that it's hard for me to accept the fact that i said something that is not true <laughs> so i'm going to deny it right and so our mind uses different ways to uh, protect us from pain um makes sense when it when it thinks it's too much mm. you know uh so it uses mechanisms that really help us to cope with things uh uh and it it is basically protecting us from that kind of uh, you know experience even when you say like uh, of course i i do understand where you're coming from when uh, there are experiences of parents minimizing or disregarding what the child has gone through um uh, or instead they will share an instance about them oh, that yeah. has been way more severe uh <laughs> that's so you know, inparentish uh, uh <laughs> yeah like um i i'm not too sure if it's just indian but oh, yeah. like <laughs> i think it's just uh, it's just a very uh, like uh, unaware parenting i feel because um like i said just unaware individuals in adult bodies yeah. yeah it's i think when we start looking at people like that right everybody like even your parents or your brother anyone that you look up to they are not perfect like everyone is derived like everyone is carrying trauma with them so uh, don't keep someone on a pedestal because they'll end up falling uh or they will have to uh uh lie to you keep you in denial so that they maintain that so so that they stay on that pedestal it's wrong even for us to put them on that pedestal so you, you usually we keep parents there right like we keep parents okay. are like our ideals like they can't have. be wrong yeah so i think we need to uh, if we start looking them as they are also people who are growing they're still kids who are growing they are also they also have flaws like we'll have a really healthy environment around us um your outlook of course will matter a lot because um i see that a lot of the aspects come into play when um, 
you really understand uh, that they are also human they also hurt the same way uh, they are equally uh, as clueless as you are sometimes for some <laughs> situation and that's completely okay uh, when you kind of put that perspective into your head you become more empathetic empathy doesn't mean you sit and fuel them you get it that you enable this behavior within them empathy means that you understand that they are not they might not be mentally capable of making that kind of decision for themselves right um, and so just uh, being aware that they they are also flawed they also make mistakes because uh, most of the times what happens is that um, as children when you talk to children uh, it becomes very difficult for them to know that their par- that their parents have faltered like they're supposed to be my parents they can't do this you know uh, it becomes a very uh, black and white situation when it comes to parents no, and also mostly uh, and also mostly the way parents talk is they always uh, bring themselves into the picture right they always say that i never did this see i was always better as a kid so i think that they in like the way how they say things it kind of embeds in their head that my parents my parents are better than me or better than who i am so i always have to look up to them and i always have to try to be them so if they if if parents change the way how they uh, uh tell their kids yeah communicate yeah communicate their flaws let's say if a kid did something wrong the way how you communicate is gonna frame this kid for the rest of his life yeah so yeah like now we have we all grew up like we all have come to a point where even though like now i can recognize my parents flaws like even though my parents were flawed Like, like any parents of flawed now we have a choice here to make uh to just have a different perspective over them right right and um what you said about uh, just you know how you communicate changes everything for the child um uh that's when i i, I kind of bring in this point about having honest and genuine conversations um and it's okay for parents to tell children that they don't know about something get what i'm saying sometimes yes. i might not as a parent i might not be able to understand what my child is going through and so for me it is as a parent it is my let's say responsibility to help them go through it but also tell them that i might not understand what you're going through completely but i'm here for you to 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 let them know that this is a space where you can freely explore your emotions really really explore who you are who you want to be you know and um, that kind of honest conversations can get stuck by power dynamics and control and things like that of course i understand but um, um, there are many systems that really contribute towards not having these honest conversations uh, again but i feel like our, our generation is something that it, it's a very very unique generation because i see so many people having similar problems that i have you know um when i say oh my god that's so misogynistic of you to say that uh and I, if i point out something that is slightly misogynistic i can see a lot of people relating that means we are a generation that's really undoing some generational trauma we're trying to heal and so yes. um we have that kind of uh, insight and awareness to uh, understand that the world can function differently 
it's so interesting you say uh, you talk about generational trauma because uh, i heard this story someone say on on uh, on their podcast so as i was listening to their podcast so uh, a mom uh, a m- mice so before she gave birth she was always uh, electrocuted like there are these machines where you can taser them right so mm-hmm. it's like the mom was tasered for a prolonged period of time and then when the mice gave birth so and when these uh, uh, scientists or whoever were conducting this experiment when they uh, placed the taser the mice would just run away like the kid uh, like the kids they would run away from the taser like they didn't even know what it was but they were so scared of it so the trauma was transferred like like generational trauma like it keeps transferring like now let's say yeah. depression or let's say anxiety like if you're feeling something it is a generational thing that you might be carrying like that was not necessarily yeah. had to do anything with your childhood yeah that's what i mean by when i say sometimes you know we're carrying often burdens that are not ours uh sometimes when we truly come to understand what we uh, really are dealing with our problems really seem more manageable because they are our problems and not somebody else's problems most often uh, we are carrying problems from our previous generations projections that have that have feelings that have been really projected into us you know yes so uh, i when people should have a different outlook on getting help the people would get help to become more healthy not because they are sick so uh, whoever is listening to this so like i want a lot of people to uh, have a different outlook on to on life because last time when you were here i took away a uh, few points which i still remember and i will remember for the rest of my life so i would be i would be happy if whoever is listening they take certain points from this like the way how they view their parents or the elderly they they are also growing like they are older version of kids so let's be more empathetic so i hope people uh, like they had fun listening to us because i had so much fun uh, talking to you thank you so much for being here <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's always a fun conversation when I'm having a conversation with you. So thank you for your having You're me so, here for the second time. Yes, I I'm I would love to have you back sometime in the future because you're so positive. Like I love talking to you. Last time you were here, uh, uh, like after our call ended, like after the podcast was ended, like I was so happy. I was so positive. Like my friend, uh, like literally noticed that. and uh, so yeah like i would love to have you back sometime <laughs> i really appreciate uh, you sharing that with me it really means a great deal to me and uh, yeah it's been such a good experience like uh, every time i come on this podcast even i take away so much you know um, to sort of understand how um, things are in let's say somebody else's perspective is so beautiful to watch for me it's so beautiful to witness and uh, to have a conversation around something that's so uh, let's say important at least to the both of us i think it it, it feels really uh, you know it's very it's very empowering for me 
to have these conversations and come out and talk about things I love and you creating an avenue for it. So it's always uh, a very empowering experience. For me. This is the reason why I do what I do. But I, I don't uh, like really care about like how many people like the numbers, like how many views or how many people watch it. But there is so much that I learn from this and uh, there are a few people who regularly listen to my podcast. They listen to the entire thing. So I know that there is a lot of things that we don't speak in society. Like there's, a, It's like high time we bring a sane, unhealthy view over certain topics. Like people can seek help to become like more healthier version of themselves. And yeah. uh, so yeah, it was, it was lovely having you. Thank you. A Sankarshan Joshi trip. <laughs>